The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Thomas Salerno, and you're listening to The Secrets of the Dark Crystal, where we'll discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of Jim Henson's groundbreaking 1982 fantasy film. And joining me today on the panel are Catherine Laffrey. Hello, Catherine. Hello. And Patrick Mason. Hi, Patrick. Howdy, Tom. Be sure to follow The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also subscribe to SQPN on YouTube, where you can click the bell and get notifications whenever a new SQPN podcast goes up. You can also follow the StarQuest Network on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter, where we are at SQPN, or Instagram, where we are at StarQuest Network. Now, before we dive into our discussion of the Dark Crystal, I want to give our viewers a little plot summary that'll help guide us through this. Now, if you have not seen this 40-year-old movie, which a lot of people I talked to have not, and I didn't up until a few years ago, turn back now, because we are going to spoil this entire movie. In the magical world of Thra, the evil reptilian Skeksis have lorded over the power of the Dark Crystal for a thousand years desperately trying to prolong their lives, while their wise counterparts, the mystics, wait for a chosen one to heal the crystal and return balance to the world. That chosen one is Jen, the last of the Gelflings, who was raised by the mystics from childhood. Jen sets out on a quest to find the missing shard of the crystal. Meanwhile, the Skeksis bicker amongst themselves after the death of their emperor, with the cunning Chamberlain being banished for his presumptions of rule. The other Skeksis fear a prophecy that a Gelfling will destroy them and unleash their crustacean-like Gartham soldiers to capture Jen. In the wilderness, Jen meets a strange hag named Ogra, who tells him that he must return the shard to the Castle of the Crystal before the great conjunction of three sons, where the Skeksis will achieve their goal of immortality and rule forever. Escaping from the Gartham, Jen encounters a female Gelfling named Kira and her fuzzy pet Fizgig. Kira takes Jen to the village of the Podlings, but the Gartham track them down and they barely escape the clutches of the Chamberlain. Jen and Kira infiltrate the castle of the Skeksis, but Kira is captured and Jen is almost killed by falling rocks. Kira is to be drained of her life essence by the Skeksis, but she summons an army of animals leading to the unintentionally hilarious demise of the Skeksis scientist. Jen and Kira are reunited just as the Great Conjunction begins. Kira is seemingly killed by the Skeksis, and Jen repairs the Dark Crystal using the Shard. The Mystics, who have been slowly traveling to the castle on foot, <laughs> arrive and are merged with their counterparts to become the benevolent spirits called the Urskeks. Before ascending to the stars, the Urskeks revive Kira, telling Jen that the courage and sacrifice of the two Gelflings have restored what was once sundered and rejuvenated the world of Thra. Now, that sounds like a complicated plot, but it's actually there's a lot of unfamiliar names and words, but it's actually a pretty like standard fairy tale. But I think it's all those world building building elements, plus Jim Henson's amazing puppetry that really sets this movie apart in the ranks of fantasy films. And I, I just want to ask you guys as you get started as we get started, when when did you uh, first see the Dark Crystal? When did you fir first encounter it? And uh, what were your uh, first impressions? Uh, uh, Patrick, let's start with you. You know, I, my mom tells me I watched it as a kid because um, we watched it recently with my kids. Uh, and, and my mom happened to be here while we were watching it. And she was like, oh, yeah, you were their age when you saw it. Um, I don't remember it that well i have um somewhat vagueish memories about various aspects of it like the chamberlain like stands out in my mind very much yeah it's like, mm -hmm. 
Oh my gosh. It's hard to escape that. Um, yeah. The, the, um, I guess the, I, I, honestly, the noises uh, are what I think I remember the most. The, oh, that the, oh, yeah, the, the mystics. The mystics. The sound design's amazing in this movie. Yeah. And the, the barking the, of the rolly dog. Yeah. <laughs> Fisk Fisk yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, and the, and even the noise the uh, Gartham make. The, the, I don't know. I, I don't think the kind I can of chittering noise, sound. Yeah, yeah, that, right, that noise. Yeah. I remember those. Those are probably the biggest impressions as far as like what I can recall or remember the first time I saw it. Um, and then I didn't see it again till college. Um, and I had a friend who was like, "Oh my gosh, like you don't remember this movie? We gotta watch it right now." <laughs> and we watched it again, and I was like, "Man, this is a weird film." <laughs> <laughs> It certainly is, and it's one of the reasons I love it so much, just how singular it is. It, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, Catherine, what about you? What are your memories of this film? I probably wanted to go see it in the theaters when it was in the theaters, but I have a funny feeling my mom would have been like going, that seems a little dark. And I was like, but it's, you know, Jim Henson, I love everything he does. I mean, I I used to turn my stuffed animals into Muppets if I could. <laughs> but uh, I do remember watching it on VHS. We had a neighbor that I used to babysit for all the time who had always the latest, greatest home theater technology. And when I babysat their kids, it was like, okay, what can I watch? I wouldn't be able to see at home. And I think I stumbled across <laughs> this one and then uh, The Last Unicorn and all those great movies from the uh, the big revival of fairy tales and fantasies in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> so I know that. And then, of yeah, course, that, I finally thing, watched right? it all the way through yeah. yesterday all by myself. It's like, yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Did it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Check that off. <laughs> and this movie was, yeah, it, it it's considered one of the fan, the quote unquote fantasy flops of the 80s because you know, it, it got mixed reviews from critics. And then I don't think audiences knew what to do with it because they're like, oh, Jim Henson Muppets. And then you right. see this and it's something so completely <laughs> different from that. Yeah. First, but still like, using this. Like, this isn't the Muppets, is Muppets. it? This, no, this yeah. It's a like, little different. <laughs> no Big Bird, but, no Snuffleupagus. <laughs> this, no Kermit. Yeah. Like, but I, yeah. I love that he went out in a completely different direction from what he was used to and just did just did this crazy idea that he had. Like I first really heard about this movie uh, when I read a biography of Jim Henson, which I think is just called Jim Henson. And they talked about the making of this movie. And I'm like, well, that that sounds really interesting. I'd really like to see that. And I but I didn't end up seeing it until a few years ago. I remember I went. It was my birthday. We went out and I bought a bunch of Blu-rays and the Dark Crystal. I, I think it was on sale and I picked it up. The, the, the 4K Blu-ray, even though I don't have a 4K TV, but it had the normal Blu-ray with it. So I'm like and, and it was one of those cool things that came with extras, like a little booklet and stuff. So I picked that up and my brother and I watched it. And we just had a blast the whole way through. And we turned to each other after it was over and we're like, how did, how have we missed this movie all these years? Because we we loved every second of it. And I'm just like, like, yeah, it quickly became one of my favorite fantasy movies for for reasons I, I don't think I can properly articulate. It just hits the right buttons for me, I guess. And um, and of course, then we uh, we ended up watching the uh, the Netflix show, which I might talk a little bit about later, which was which was really great. And that, but it was canceled, which is terrible. But, yeah, terrible. <laughs> but that's Netflix for you. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's Netflix for you. I, I think I think I might have net left Netflix after <laughs> I heard that they canceled what was one of my favorite shows at the time. But yeah, and that it, it's amazing that as we record this, the 40th anniversary of this movie is approaching. And when 
even though it's 40 years old and th- there are some there are some special effects shots in the movie which didn't age particularly well but a lot of it holds up you know i just watched the movie again yesterday and i'm like this movie is stunning visually mm-hmm. and it just draws you into that whole world which is i think the, the the if if that world that the the world of thra which they they actually don't mention that name on screen but if you i think if you look on the wikipedia page it mentions it but oh it's if, interesting if to the, see how the name changed did anybody else see that oh did it really no. yeah what was it, it originally was, it was um I think it was Mithra, but then they changed it to Nira, and then they just changed it to Thra. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it was like something to do with like the name being too close to the name of, I think, a Greek god or something like that, that they ended up changing it because they yeah. didn't want it to be associated. In some of the extended Dark Crystal lore, I think, because I, I have actually a bunch of like the lore books surrounding this movie and the tie-in novels. I think they they bring that name Mithra back and they explain how it changed into Thra. I, I don't know the exact details, but 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 that's the thing. There's this world is so intricate. It, it's like the world of Middle Earth. It's like the world of Star Wars. It's a world that I can get lost in. You know, I just love everything about this world. I mean, Patrick, you mentioned the uh, the the sounds you know, the 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 sound design, the visuals, it, it's a living world. Well, what, what do you guys think about that, that aspect of the movie? I, yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the, the the best things about this movie is the fact that you get lost in it, um, which is, I think, the reason the visual effects stand up so well is because, like, you know, they're puppets, like, you know it, like, looking at them, like, like, my daughter was like, he looks like a Barbie doll, like like some of the times, you know, <laughs> talking about Jen. And yeah, it was like, it was like, yeah, kind of, you know, the first couple scenes with them, just sort of sitting yeah. there with the pool and everything. But the further you get into the movie is moving around. You sort of just start believing all of the motions of the creatures and the more of the world you're introduced to. And it's not just because the first kind of landscapes you you encounter around the castle, which is this desolate desert. And then where the uh, mystics live, which is also a different kind of desolate desert. But then in the middle of it, you encounter where the podlings live. And it's this vibrant, thriving swamp jungle thing that's got its own microcosm and biology and stuff eating each other. And, and things are happening. Yeah, like, that's great. Oh, this is like this is a world like I'm I'm in I'm in it now. And, and so like even the even the stuff where you you with the scientists latching in the podlings or or when he's latching in um oh what's her name the kira kira you know, it, yeah it, it it looks a little puppet puppety when he's doing that but even then you're like yeah whatever you know I'll push the blue button <laughs> because this everything else is just so good and all it's it's just so well done the puppetry is so well done that you just believe it and and these are not puppets talking. These are Skeksy and, and Gelflings and um, Grothrim. Or, well, they don't talk. But And then the craziness of talk, Mother yeah. Ogre. <laughs> it's just yeah. nuts. <laughs> a, a very, you, a, you could tell kind of, because this movie came out after Empire Strikes Back. And it's co-directed by Frank Oz, who puppeteered and provided the voice for Yoda. But you can tell there's a little bit of Yoda in Mother Agra. Very much so. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh, even the way she would like giggle and run. (laughs) So Yoda-ish. It was like Yoda's ugly girlfriend. I don't know. (laughs) I can see that. I I want to watch it again just to watch the background. You know, there's so yes. many movies I go to and I watch and then it's like, oh, I got to watch it again just so I can watch everything else besides the characters. Because there are so many little right. things happening in the background. It was beautiful that way. You know, like, you like said, Star Wars bugs. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, there's like you said, it's a little microbiome of insects and birds and whatnot that are just flying in the background. And as like a, a nature and science geek, I love that. I'm like, this is a whole ecosystem that they've built from the ground up in this movie. And I just love it. 
Yeah, the concept designer, oh my gosh, what an incredible job he did. And that was the amazing thing is I got to see his sketches. And oh, see- yeah. So, Catherine, you you got to see some of the original props from this movie mm-hmm. and some of the other stuff at an exhibit. So what, uh, why didn't you tell us about that? Yeah, so it was the... Actually, I saw the the advertising for the Jim Henson exhibit at the Grand Rapids Art Museum before you even posted wanting to do this podcast. And when I saw the podcast, I was like, oh, now I'm going for sure. (laughs) I mean, I, I, you know, love Jim Henson's work since I could remember. So going to see those puppets in person was amazing, even some of his really old ones. But then to go around the corner and see these puppets for this movie standing by themselves and it was just like you know as you look at some of them you think oh wow i thought it was bigger than that and others you're like oh my gosh it's that big you know like the hand tools that they had just a whole case of the hand tools that they made for the characters of the movie and you're like oh my gosh they're big enough that like a human could use these things so how big was the puppet and yeah i mean i would i wish all the puppets were there but uh mother how what's her name agra yeah mother agra that face <laughs> in person <laughs> that close it was so bad my daughter thankfully went with me she didn't want to but she went with me and i went to take a picture of the face and she's like mom please don't that thing's gonna hex you <laughs> <laughs> well she, she is like <laughs> yeah she is like a witch i guess or a hag but uh yeah yeah no, she's I, like, like, when you called yeah. her a hag i was just like yeah, that is spot on. Like she, yeah. she's just this crazy. Well, she is like pops you know, her eye out. It's like the fates and Hercules, you know. Oh like, right, yeah, it is. I wonder and if the they first got time that your eyeballs idea. just sitting there, it looked so real. It was like, oh, that's so weird. It's like wet and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. The, like, that's the first thing you see. Right, is her eyeball. Like you don't see her because Jen mm-hmm. gets caught up in the vines and he's just sitting there, and her eyeball comes up, and you're like. <laughs> Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or when she leaves it on the table when she's yes. caged up with the scientist, it's like, oh, no, no, no. Put it back yeah. in, you know, blow it off a couple times. Put it back in the eye socket. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and that's the great thing. Like, there's there's just little moments in this film that if if you've seen the film, you're, you're going to remember them. You know, there, there's so many great little standout moments. Um, one of my favorites is just that that whole sequence when they go to Kira's village. And I'm like, podlings know how to live. I'm like, I want to live with these people. <laughs> they just know how to have a good time. And I love how like Jen, he's he, he he's just trying to learn to say thank you. And I, I, I think he's not saying it right, because the way some of them like react to him trying to say thank you in the podling language, it's almost like he said something wrong or insulted them. And I'm like, <laughs> I just I just the puppets are so expressive, even the the Gelflings, which are not as expressive as they could be. Like, I, I think that they are some of like, you know, the 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 stiffest with their facial expressions they're still like you said pat you you believe them you believe these characters once you've spent an hour and a half with them and that's another thing this movie has not a single human character in it and that's one of the other things i think makes it groundbreaking as a fantasy movie because even other fantasy movies of the period you know like willow or labyrinth or the never-ending story they have humans in them this no humans and yet we can identify with these characters and and that's an interesting question i didn't even think of before recording what uh what what would you say is is your guys favorite character out of all the characters in the movie picking one that's hard (laughs) i know right (laughs) um you know i i think well, before we before we get to that, the the whole no humans thing. So I hit my children with that before we turned the movie on. I was like, "There's not going to be any people in this," and they're like, "What? What are you talking about? There's no people. Is it? It's not animated. No, it's not animated. It's puppets." I was like, "Okay." And then when we got to the podling scene, they were like, "Oh, they're the people. <laughs> they're the humans in this in this world." And I'm like, "You know, 
Yeah, they probably are. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty human what they're doing there. <laughs> yeah, they they seem to be like the average kind of Joe in this fantasy world. You know, they're the only ones who don't seem to have any sort of magic about them. Even the Gelflings can do that thing where they read each other's thoughts. But the the Podlings are just these little potato people (laughs) (laughs) they seem like hobbits meet fraggle rock yeah hobbits meet fraggle rock meet ewoks and it's (laughs) and like i said like they and which is like and once you you see them being enslaved by the skexis you're just like no (laughs) leave them alone That's just mean. That's not, it's not, I mean, it's evil. Don't get me wrong. But it's also just mean. Come on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> it's like the, 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 these little people who've never done any harm to anybody. They just want to hang out in their village and have fun. And it's just like, pull this giant rock, you slaves. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. But yeah, so yeah, if, if you had to pick a character in this movie. Fizzgig. Fizzgig, good choice. Oh, yeah. I want one of those just rolling around the house <laughs> with a huge mouth, the we double jaw line. Double jaws, yeah. yeah. It looks so cute. And he opens his mouth. And you're like, oh my gosh, what could that thing eat? <laughs> Goodbye, yeah, that shoes. Was, that was no. like kid's favorite parts was when he, he was like, they were like, okay, you got to stay here. And he was like, no. You know, he's just, ah! <laughs> yeah. The kids just, they hit the ground laughing. <laughs> he throws a tantrum. Mm-hmm. It is it's, it's so great. Like, right. And you think about like the simplicity of that puppet, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's literally mm-hmm. a, almost literally a sock puppet that could roll. Yeah. And yet so expressive. Like you get mm-hmm. so much out of his gig. Um, you know, for me, it's hard not to pick one of the Skeksy just because of how yeah. characterized they are. Um, I mean, it's it's tough not to go with like Jin or Kira because just, you know, they're the hero and heroine of the story and it's mostly about them. But man, the Chamberlain is just an interesting guy, especially when you get into the um, TV show. Yeah, you you get to know the Skeksy a whole lot better. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go with the Chamberlain just because we spend the most time with him. Yeah. And I'm kind of influenced by the television show, too. And Mark Hamill's portrayal of the scientist in that. Oh, yeah. I, I re- he's not the scientist in this movie, but he is in the television show. And he does a really great job. And just like, I love how eccentric the scientist is. And uh, and th- his demise is one of my favorite moments in the movie, because both my brother and I guessed it as soon as the animals start breaking out of their cages we're like okay fall into that pit behind you fall into that pit and of course the animals like push him off into the pit and we're like yes <laughs> so the, the fact that we kind of saw it coming made it even funnier <laughs> so but yeah I, I i yeah i actually saw the ending thanks to chamberlain when i first started watching and they stripped chamberlain of his robes oh yeah he walks by and you see his crumpled up second pair of arms. And I went, knew it. I could tell just by the shape of their faces and the shape of the mystics faces. I'm like, oh, these guys are one and the same. Yeah, those parallels are from the beginning (laughs) of the movie. They're narration parallels. So the narration kind of clues you in that these are the same people. They say that they both appeared at the same time. The fact that the, both the Skeksis emperor and the leader of the mystics both die at the same time. Yeah. And, and you, you just start to think like, huh, okay. Are these two halves of the same coin here? And that kind of leads into something interesting. Cause like, I feel like a lot of the sort of deeper layers and philosophical ideas in this movie revolve around the Skeksis and the mystics because there's a lot of heavy you know dualism in this movie where it's like good and evil need to be reintegrated 
in order for healing to take place, which isn't exactly a very, you know, Christian idea. You know, in our in our in our worldview, evil is a privation of the good. It's not a thing in itself. But yeah, what what do you guys think of these uh, of how they handle the kind of ideas about good and evil in this movie? Because the, the Skeks, it's it's not like they portray it as good and evil aren't different. The Skeksis are pretty evil. It was interesting because the first thing it made me think about was something that I read in uh, John Smirik's, um Seven Deadly Sins. I thought of the Seven Deadly Sins, too. Where he, But he talks about that balance. So you have vice on one side and you have neurosis on the other side and virtue is the perfect balance in between. Oh, and so I kind of saw it more like that, where it's like maybe the mystics were more like to neurosis side and, you know, bringing them together was when virtue happened. But there was one other interesting thing. I don't know if this trivia is true or not, but supposedly when Henson pitched this to the concept designer, is it Fred or fraud or? Oh, oh, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. When when he pitched it to the designer, the designer misunderstood him when he said crystalis and thought it was crystal. And so it was supposed to be the dark crystalis, like a. Oh, like oh. what a moth comes out of. Yeah, yeah. So then it made me think, wait, when when you listen to the movie again, thinking about that, it's like it cracked. And then these two things happened. It almost feels like they're two larvae that need to come back together. And I'm like, okay, that makes more sense to me. Seeing that the final result, the what are they, Urskex or whatever Urskex, yeah, yeah, to see how different they look from the other two. Right. You know, it's like it's like a butterfly and an ugly caterpillar. There's such a big difference. And it's like, oh, even seeing them all like glowing in their hands up with their big robes. It was like it almost seemed like that, you know, caterpillar to the butterfly moment. That's really interesting. I, I'd like to look into that because, wow, yeah, that 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 just adds an even more interesting wrinkle. Yeah, yes. it's, um, it's related to the so there's this concept in um a 12 step ministry called the beam right and it's it's sort of like you walk along the beam and um i like i always used to like pride so on one side of the beam is pride like you can fall off the beam it's like a balance beam and fall into pride and on the other side is false humility and you can fall off the beam into false humility but on the beam is humility is actual humility right and when you look at um a lot of life in general, it's very much a tightrope walk between these two, you know, extremes. Um, <clears throat> you know, I there's a lot of talk these days, you know, because the Eastern religions are, are you know, interesting <laughs> to a lot of people about, like, the middle way that comes from Buddhism. Um, but that, that whole concept of avoiding the extremes has been a, a longstanding thread in uh, Catholic, not so much theology, but spirituality. Um, avoiding you know both both sides of the ball, you know to stay in the middle, stay on target, right? To to bring, stay on target, yeah. Stay on target to bring it back. And so, for me, what the Skeksis sort of they're um, prideful, um, but they're also able to lead. They're like you know strong. They're purposeful, um, you know, but they're obviously vain and they're uh, gluttonous at the same time. And on the other side of the ball, you have like the mystics who are, you know, they don't need a lot. They, they have their kind of routine and they're all working as, as a community. You don't see the infighting like you have with the Skeksis, but at the same time, they're, they're not taking care of anything. They're slothful. They, they're not, you know, really doing their job more or less is, is kind of as these powerful beings in this realm the Skeksis have, and they've sort of let the Skeksis run wild. And so you have these, these two things that aren't doing their jobs. Right. And, and it, it sort of, the movie sets it up as you go through to, okay, these are, are two sides of a coin 
but we're not seeing the the coin. The coin looks way better on edge. <laughs> right. Yeah. When it's when it's a fully merged coin. Um, and it's interesting to me the way the conceptually how the Skeksis seem to deal with the loss of their own versus how um, the mystics do. Um, and that comes a little bit from the show too, but you see like the death of the emperor is like a huge thing. It sends the Skeksis into turmoil and there's a crisis of leadership and the, you know, trial by stone. Um, and uh, on the other hand, like, you know, the, the leader of the mystics dies and they, they have a little ceremony and then, then they're done. <laughs> like go back to done. the thing, right? <laughs> or or later when one of them just bursts into flame <laughs> and the others just kind of look like, like, huh? And then just keep walking. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's yeah. like, whatever. He just disappears. Yeah. It's just, it's, and yeah, and it's not like, like, because the, the leader of the mystics, he sort of like turns into stars and everything. But the other one, like, legit burst into flames, like, whoosh. And you're like, yeah, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, there's a the, dualism. I think is a good way to put it, but it's it's sort of like the, you know, you had too far on one end and too far on the other. Um, right. The mystics have their flaws, even though they're on the side of good. Like you said, they've kind of let the world go to rot, which is, which is interesting because, and we we get again some of this in the TV show, but you can see it in the movie how the the crystal cracking that event that creates both the Skeksis and the mystics also somehow makes the world off kilter or poisons the world somehow. It's it, to me, it's almost like the, the classical like patristic interpretation of original sin that it's not just affecting humans. It's affecting the cosmos in a way. And in, in the show, it this effect is called the darkening. But they 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 don't name it in the in the movie. But you can see how like some areas of the land, especially around the Skeksis Castle, are just blasted desert. They're completely messed up. And by the end of the movie, when the crystal is restored, which and, and funny, it, it it's called the crystal of truth. I, I wonder what what that's about. But when the, when the crystal is restored, restored, and the Skeksis and Mystics are made whole again the land is all of a sudden rejuvenated it's and like immediately so i i I think there's something interesting there to be said about kind of original sin and kind of the the poisoning effect of evil because whereas as humans when we make sinful choices it doesn't just affect us on an individual level it affects all the other people around us and like even the planet when, you know, we decide not to steward it as we should. It was interesting to see in the middle ground with the podlings, how there was life, there was some beauty, there was green. And yet, you know, you go to either spectrum with the other guys and it's just, you know, so you kind of see how it's like there's that little bit of what should have been still existing, that remnant. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's that. That's interesting too. Yeah, I thought, and I think it plays out in in, and obviously we don't get enough time because it's an hour and a half. But in the characters of uh, Jen and, and Kira, just how they interact with the world, uh, you have Jen who is raised by the mystics and who lives sort of an austere, out of place existence, and then he he goes out into the world finally, and he is just bewildered he is like what am i doing here what is all of this stuff what is that thing over there what just that? <laughs> you know he gets scared out of his wits by fizzkit and then falls into that water thing and then that turns out he's on top of another giant monster <laughs> that comes out of the water um that's great but on the other hand jen or not sorry jen um kira who's been living with the pilings who are this pretty rough and ready group of folks seems to be in in commune with the whole thing, with all of, with all of nature. And you would think that Jen being with the mystics, right. Being in this, you know, all group, you know, and, and doing their <laughs> things would be the guy who was in commune with nature, but it turns out it's Kira who's been living in it mm. and been living. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good, it was a very interesting ju- juxtaposition of their characters 
and of sort of like, you know, where you grow up affecting how you interact with the world around you um, and what it means to you. And even, I mean, I think we see that a lot uh, today with people who, you know, maybe think they're very, very spiritual folks. And then they get into an actual spiritual situation. And they're like, Oh, I don't, I'm out of my depth here. <laughs> like I don't understand. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jen is, is sheltered. He's, he's lived in the Valley of the mystics his whole life. And like you said, Kira has been been living, you know, and she's she's she, she's almost kind of I, I don't want to say unfallen, but she's she, you know, she's more like you said, in commune with nature. She has that that, you know, um, way of looking at the world around her and appreciating things that were like you said, Jen is just terrified of everything. That's interesting, too, because she understands the oral tradition. So she understood that, you know, them holding their hands would be like this dreamlike communication. And she understood right. when they went into the ruins what was there, but she couldn't read the writing where Jen had been taught right. by the mystics could read the writing. And I love that little line between the two of them where she's like, what's writing? And he's like, words that don't go away or whatever it was. It was just like yeah. You know, yeah. words that stay. Words that was that it. Stay. I love that. Word yeah. that stay. Words that stay. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was interesting just to see that dynamic between the two of them where he's like written history and she's like verbal history. And so when the two Oral of them history, come together, yeah. yeah, you're getting that complete story. So, and it was one thing I picked up after looking at the photos again of the actual puppets on the front of Kira's um, garment, she has that three leafed image that was on the throne in the ruins that she sat oh. down at. So it's kind of cool. because it's like, she's definitely con more connected to the past than he right. is. Yeah, and like he, he doesn't even he doesn't even know the basic biology of his species, you know, when it's revealed that that Kira has wings and yeah. can fly. And he's like, I, well, I don't have wings. And she's like, of course not. You're a boy. You're and like, you know, but to her, that's just like obvious. Well, of course you don't have wings. You're a boy. But to him, it's just like, oh, uh, wh why did the mystics not tell me this stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's the the head mystics line. He's like, I should have told you this, this stuff earlier. And the further you get in the movie, you're like, yeah, you really should have. He is clueless. <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been only a thousand years. You couldn't get the whole story in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I. What one line which I was surprised they did not use in the uh, the promotional material for the television show was uh, the leader of the mystic says to Jen, because he's like, well, what do you know of the Skeksis? And Jen's just like, well, they killed my parents. And the mystic leader is like, the story runs deeper than, you know, and you were a part of it. And I was like, why did not they use that line as? promotion for the show because that's the great thing about the tv show is that it starts to give you that even deeper story of this world and like it's past and how it how it got to this point that the so that where the does Skeksis the TV... are in complete control and where does that tv show start i don't i've never seen it so i don't know where did that like what timeline where does that fit in the timeline the tv so show it's, it's sort I, of like yeah it's Several, it seems like hundreds, possibly hundreds of years, but maybe not that long. It's, it's hard to place, but yeah. it's, it's before they started draining creatures for their essence. Before right. that, the Skeksis seemed to have been doing okay. And then they, the, one of the big, you know, movements on their plot line through the show is the fact that they're actually starting to fall apart. Due to the darkening, yeah. more or less, and they have to find a way to forestall it, and that be, that starts the whole essence draining thing. Um, but in the in the opening shot of the of the show, like the castle grounds are still green, like that whole area mm -hmm. around the castle is still a verdant green. There's you know rivers running, everything's good. There's whole clans and civilizations of Gelflings, um, so it, it seems pretty far off. But the dark crystal's already there. Yes. yes. 
Because my question yeah. is, where the heck did the dark crystal come from? Because at the end, they all flew off. So it's like, did yes. they bring it here? I mean, is it they like the alien pod? I, there's, <laughs> I say, there, yeah. It talks in the opening sequence of the show. It talks a lot about Mother Ogra and the crystal. Like they're mm-hmm. sort of like they were there at the beginning. It's sort of like Tom Bombadil. Yes. He's just always been there. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. and Ogre is kind of a like, Mother Earth figure. Yeah, very much so. And they talk about this, the Urskex coming, or maybe at the, that point they were the Skex, but that's a little fuzzier. But they they come to Thra, and they sort of tie up Mother Ogre with her big orbital thing for like a thousand years, and that during that when she's not paying attention effectively is when they break the crystal uh, and they split. And so she kind of like wakes up to this. Things were not like this when I was asleep <laughs> kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the Skeksis are interesting because they, they kind of in themselves are an effective metaphor, visual metaphor for sin. It's like what sin does to you on the inside is them on the outside because they're they're hideous and they don't try to hide what they do. Like you said, Pat, they're they're gluttonous, they're envious, they're vain. You know, if if all of the seven deadly sins like they, they've done them, you know, there's nothing they haven't done seemingly. So I, I feel I, I really think that they're. They're a kind of effective visual metaphor. They're not like other fantasy villains like Sauron from the Lord of the Rings, you know, like they're 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 a different kind of evil. They're a slimy, unsettling kind of evil. Yeah, like <laughs> like um, Tolkien always talked about the or- well, not always, but later in his life, he talked about the orcs um, and the goblins were kind of a cheat because they didn't have a past. They didn't have a, like a society or a culture or anything. They were just, they were bad guys. They were evil. And he was like, I did it because it was easy. <laughs> like, um, and because it made for good, you know, for good stories and good storytelling. And Sauron is, you know, evil. And, and we get the story kind of behind Melkor and all that through the Silmarillions, but, or the Silmarillion. Um, but with the Skeksi, they're not just evil um necessarily like they display it it's on like full-blown like and they're just i mean even if a skexy was like acting nice which the chamberlain does on on several occasions he's still terrifying like (laughs) i don't want to deal with this giant vulture bird lizard monster thing no no thank you (laughs) like just whoa (laughs) and and so i you know I, i think it's that it's very interesting like even if they were to try to be good which they kind of are-ish in the show, at least to some extent. Oh, and then there's the heretic who's trying to act good. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about him. The Skeksis heretic, yeah. Yeah. He's living with his mystic, and they're trying to act in concert, but their personalities are so different that they still, like, you know, (laughs) they still can't completely get along, but I, I thought that was interesting. That's a great thing about this universe. There's so much potential to expand and tell new stories. And that's what made the show great. What 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 was not great, though, are some of the tie in comic books, because there was going to be a sequel to this movie. And it was going to be called The Power of the Dark Crystal. But it didn't end up being made. And instead, that screenplay was turned into a series of comic books, which are terrible do not read them the the comic like people blame the star wars sequels for undermining the original movies they they have nothing on the power of the dark crystal which completely upends everything jen and kira fought for undermines them as characters just to put on a pedestal these new characters here here's your new heroes like them and i'm just like Nope, no, 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 no. The, the, the great thing about this movie is just, you know, how much like a traditional fairy tale it is just with no humans in it, you know, and you, you, you have Jen and Kira who are the, almost all the characters are archetypes, 
are kind of fairy tale archetypes. He's Henson is clearly working with the monomyth here. And it's that kind of, I think, almost primeval sort of storytelling, like with Star Wars, is which I think what I think really makes this film work. Yeah, and I like that Jim Henson actually said that he wanted this to be like a grim fairy tale. He wanted it to show the darkest dark to let kids know, don't go there. <laughs> don't touch this. There's something bad there. <laughs> but I, I love the fact that I watched this realizing when it was made and then thought about all of the movies after it that almost picked up different elements of it. Yeah. Like to me, when they showed the Skeksis like rejuvenating a little bit, first thing I thought of was a Star Trek movie. Oh, which one? Do you remember the next generation one where you have the children that left the oh. planet that lived forever? Oh, yeah. And they're always trying to like fix their faces and, you know, rejuvenate only to find out that, no, you have to go back. You have to be back where you were that merging back together or at the very end when you have you know they're all the crystals doing its thing it's lighting up they tell you that it's leaving you with truth or knowledge in a way and you're right away and watching them fly off was like the crystal skull oh yeah (laughs) i was like oh my gosh these are like the crystal skull aliens (laughs) uh yeah yeah they really were yeah Or even having Jen go, oh, I wish this didn't come to me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's Frodo. (laughs) All right. Yeah. (laughs) Except Jen tries to throw it away, whereas, you know, Frodo would not have done that. Yeah. (laughs) It would have been a completely different movie if, like, the shard had some sort of evil influence on you that once you had it, you, like, became obsessed with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, um, I think, you know talking about the the monument or the Grimm's fairy tales it very much reminded me of Grimm's fairy tales uh but it also reminded me of like the precursor uh fairy tales to those um because there was actually something of a shift with uh Grimm's and, and the moving the fairy tales into these morality tales um which was you know had their own goods in a way but they were different from a lot of the old fairy tales which were not so much morality tales as just stuff happens. And sometimes stuff happens. It's bad stuff happens to good people. And sometimes good stuff happens to bad people and just stuff happens. Um, And this I thought was actually a pretty good portrayal of like both. Um, You had sort of the, the big overarching good evil, you know, recombining of the, um, the mystics and the Skeksis and, and the overarching plot. Um, but then you also had like the podlings who were just living their lives. And then all of a sudden the Gartham come in and wreck it and wreck it all. And, and, you know, honestly, Jin, both Jin and Kara just sort of living their lives and going on about their business. And all of a sudden they're on this massive quest to, to heal right, the crystal yeah. and, and put everything right. And um, I thought it was actually a really good blend of both those kind of fairy tales. Uh, I thought they did a, a really good job the more i think about it of a, a, a fantastic job of kind of blending those both of those themes together that you know there is a constant struggle between good and evil and um you know the evil you do can have uh long lasting and wide ranging effects and it can affect people who aren't even involved but the effect on them suddenly makes them involved and because of that sometimes they've got to fix the problems that you make i don't know Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jim Henson himself was a student of fairy tales. He he collect he, he loved collecting folklore and myths and fairy tales from around the world. And you, you can definitely see he's t- like like George Lucas did with Star Wars. He's taken a lot of that and he's kind of distilled it into this story that, that hits a lot of familiar beats, but does it in new and interesting ways and in a world that just feels at the same time really familiar and at the same time radically different and and exotic and i i just think it's it's one of those movies that i i i guess when it came out maybe audiences weren't ready for it or maybe it was just too different from his previous stuff 
but I, I really think it's a it's a triumph of fantasy storytelling and and of cinema, not just of like and and of and of visual effects. Just the the you know the advances in puppetry that happened with this movie were 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 pretty astounding, and I I think it really of a, of the movies of that era that were fantasy movies. I think this one kind of for me at least stands head and shoulders above the others. Yeah. It was interesting. I almost wondered if it would have done better if it didn't have to compete with E.T. that came out shortly after it. Oh, yeah. Well, E.T. Yeah. kind of swept everybody away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Little Spielberg. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess this played well, though, overseas in some countries. Oh, OK. Interesting. Not, not in uh, the Middle East, though. Where I heard it was like censored, burned. Oh, <laughs> not allowed to be shown. I guess yeah, it was said it was sacrilegious, and yeah, which is interesting. <laughs> Another interesting tidbit is that apparently Henson had thought of doing the movie with no English dialogue, not even subtitles, and he showed he showed some of the suits that dinner scene. Of the Skeksis all eating all the creatures and just burping and doing all kinds of gross stuff with no dialogue. <laughs> and they were like, Jim, what is this? And and, and so like the, the people are watching here. Yeah. So like the people around him kind of reined him in and they're like, We we need dialogue in this movie. This can't this can't be just a a visual like experiment. There there needs to be something to to connect with the audience. But yeah, <laughs> to, 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 to have been a fly on the wall at that moment would have been very interesting. Yeah. Can you imagine watching the whole thing with Chamberlain just going, Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh yeah. They've been rough. They've been really rough. <laughs> I don't <laughs> If I could leap through the screen and punch that guy, I would. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, especially with the TV show, when you learn more about him and you're like, this guy is one of the slimiest, most conniving people. <laughs> Did he have some magical power with his please, please? <laughs> oh, Do you yeah. notice the way Jen just kind of seemed mesmerized for a second there is like. You know, when Kira had to break him out of the spell almost, and it was like, oh, what's going on there? Yeah, he in the show, he uses that on several occasions. Um, but in the show, up until the end, like, the Skeksis are considered trusted um, rulers. Right. So, like, the Gelflings are just, like, naturally inclined to, to just go along with whatever the Skeksis say or do. Um, but, yeah, now that I think about it, I kind of do... I do feel like there is something there to that. That's interesting. That makes the ruins on the wall make more sense. Right. Because I stopped and looked at that and to see they had the Gelflings bringing things in, the Skeksi bringing things in. They had the, actually they had the final um, Uruskek or whatever they're called. Yeah. We're all standing around the crystal. So it kind of was like, oh wait, that's actually what they're supposed to eventually look like. And it was interesting just to see that on the wall after what you just said. It's like, okay, I could see now why there was a little more cooperation there. Yeah. And the ruins are a village, if I remember right, in the show. I think it's um, stone in the wood. Yeah, I think it is stone in the wood. Yeah, and that made me really sad watching the movie again. Yeah. I was I like know. I was like, I know this place. I've seen yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> And I'm I'm pretty sure like Kira is sitting on like the throne of the Madra, yes. you know the yep. the matriarchal leader of their village, which I thought was neat. Yeah, is and Kira was... a descendant? <laughs> I think she might be. I have like I have. Uh, it's such it's so frustrating that that show was canceled because you know I had a lot of theories about who people were supposed to be the maybe ancestors of or where things were going to lead. And to see the story incomplete is is very frustrating. Yeah, you never we never got to see the love triangle get resolved. Like, oh, oh, that. I, I, yeah. And like, <laughs> I remember sitting like halfway through the show and I'm like, 
I am really invested in this like love triangle or tetrahedron of puppets. <laughs> They're puppets, <laughs> Pat. <laughs> <laughs> No. Okay, so but, but before before this becomes the secrets of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance on Netflix, I, I, I think I should I think I should ask you guys um, uh, for final thoughts. Um, what would you say to to wrap up our discussion of the Dark Crystal? Oh, I'd have to say Jim Henson is just an incredible genius and the people that he worked with were amazing just going through and looking at scenes from the documentary making of and i think i probably saw that in its entirety before i actually saw the movie in its entirety i was always just so amazed at the way they work and the how the finished product how it looks and how alive the characters became yeah it was it was so impressive to me and i was i was such a big fan that i actually um, in drama class in middle school, did not want to be on stage. So helped the teacher rewrite the part of the uh, Wizard of Oz to have a little sidekick. And I grabbed my friend's animal uh, Muppet and <laughs> played out the sidekick to the uh, Wizard of Oz as animal. And yes, I had so much fun actually going, I can be a puppeteer like Jim Henson. This is so cool. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I... I... I really do love this movie. Um, it's such a zeitgeist, if I'm going to use that word. I don't like that word, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> it's such a like a zeitgeist of like puppetry and world building at the same time. It's sort of like it's not. It never seemed to me like puppetry for the sake of puppetry. It seemed to me like this is a way I'm going to tell this story, and mm-hmm. it works really, really well for this story. And it's built this. Uh, amazing world that you get to see sort of, and I think Ogre puts it well, you know, it's an end, it's a beginning, it's a big, big change. Right. And you get to see this sort of, and so it, it leaves you definitely like, well, what came before and what's going to come after? Come on, man. Right. <laughs> like, don't leave me hanging. <laughs> um, like the journeys, the characters go on, even though they're very short, they're still very impactful. Um, the and then the deeper themes i think they're i think they're on display well enough that it's hard not to catch them and that that to me i think honestly i think that makes the the fantasy movies the best like you talk about like what were the best of those fantasy movies cuz you've got a ton of them that came out in that time and you know this one willow never ending story um and then you start you know, moving down the line to like crawl and, and, um, Conan and, um, <laughs> the, it's not the Falconer. I can't remember what it, what he is, but, <laughs> and then you go, you know, even further down the line to the ones that like mystery science theater makes fun of. <laughs> and, All right. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so I think what differentiates them is the, the kind of the monomyth stuff, the storytelling, and then the deeper, meanings and themes being evident enough to the audience that like, I know we're in a strange world and nothing might make sense and it's fantastic and it's all ooh and ah, but it's not just ooh and ah. There's more to it than that. And I think the dark crystal does that pretty spectacularly. Yeah. I, I totally agree with everything you guys have just said, both as a masterclass of puppetry and visual effects and as a masterclass of fantasy storytelling you know, those two things combined make this, you know, one of my favorite fantasy movies of all time. You know, uh, for, for me, you know, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings are always going to be on the top because I'm such a Tolkien fan. But The Dark Crystal is really up there and it, it it inspires me as as a creative person. I can always go back to The Dark Crystal and feel inspired to just create something whether it be a piece of writing or a podcast or just anything. I just I just feel almost like the le- the world of Thra. I feel rejuvenated creatively <laughs> after watching this movie. So and I, I, I think that's that's a good note for us to end on. But uh, but before we end, we'd like to take a brief moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Ryan Z, Paul E, Kathleen G, Lauren N and Jonathan H. 
Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us to continue to create the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. So now we'd like to hear from you, our viewers and listeners. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal? Did, did you see it back in the day or like me, did you only recently discover it? Have you seen uh, Netflix's Age of Resistance television show? And do you hope it makes a comeback? Uh, you can let us know by contacting us at sqpn.com secrets or on our Facebook page or on Twitter, where you can send an email to secrets at sqpn.com where you can visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Once again, Patrick Mason, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of the Dark Crystal. You're very welcome. This was a lot of fun. And Catherine Laffrey, thank you as well. Thank you. This was a fun time. And I'm Thomas Salerno. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Doctor Who. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who.